Well, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, as many of you know. I have two things that I want to mention before I get started. Uh, first of all, uh, I have written uh, 25 devotionals as an Advent devotional for the church. And uh, it's uh, been published this week, and it is outside on one of the tables as you head out of here. We would love to have uh, you take uh, one and share that with your uh, family. <clears throat> There's... There's one for every day of the month of December, and it's uh, focusing on all of the Christmas passages. I hope that's a blessing to you. Uh, another thing, we have an announcement on uh, December 7th. We have a class coming up. This, let me just mention, it's on this sheet right here, this yellow one, a CPR class. Uh, we're trying to get as many people as possible qualified with uh, CPR and AED. You know those paddles when uh, Benson uh, is the resident expert on that, and uh, he said, this is a statistic, he said, 85% of people have heart attacks. If you can get with them those paddles within the first few minutes, they have an 85% survival rate. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a church in which there was a crisis, a health crisis. We're far more likely to face some kind of health crisis than we will somebody coming in and shooting up the place. So we're concerned about safety and security. A big part of that is uh, health issues, okay? So there's a, there's a class that you can take online, and uh, all that information is on the yellow sheet here. If you take that class, there's three hours online, and then you come here uh, for two hours on Saturday, December 7th, okay? And then you get, actually get certified. You pay the 30 bucks for the course, Providence will pay the 20 bucks to get your certification, okay? So we would love to have you participate. If I have a heart attack, I want you to be well-trained. <laughs> Well, we're in a series on uh, seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Maybe for the first time is the subtitle there. Uh, and the reason for the subtitle is actually Jesus shows up throughout the Old Testament in a variety of foreshadowings. Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem. Jesus has always been in existence as part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so because it is filled with foreshadowings of the coming Messiah. We have spent the last several weeks on um, uh, those illustrations and those examples. Um, Abraham and Isaac, the temple, David and Goliath. What was the one you remember the most? The scapegoat, right? <laughs> Jay actually had a uh, goat that was in here. Because I'm preaching on uh, the serpent in the wilderness this morning, people have been asking. Uh, <laughs> I said, you just have to wait and see. <laughs> well, uh, really, I do want to focus on this message from, um, from Jesus to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you know, makes a nighttime visit to Jesus and has a discussion about who Jesus really is. Why did he come? And in that discussion, what surfaces is this rather strange experience and strange reference about a serpent being lifted up on a pole. What is going on there? That's what I want to focus on this morning, because that really, in a nutshell, is Jesus saying, this is why I came. Okay? Uh, for Christmas one year as a kid, I got a portable plastic transistor radio. Remember those? About five bucks a piece or something, I think, at least when I got a little nine-volt battery in the back of it. And I was like 10 years old when I got it, and I was like, man, I thought I was really living. I had my own radio. 
And I was a budding drummer at that point and kind of liked, you know, the music. And so my favorite station, 1360 WSAI, Cincinnati. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'd, listen, I'd listen under the blanket at night, you know, before earphones were popular. I'd listen under the... Had it taken away a couple times by my folks. Um, then I heard around school about a new Cincinnati underground alternative rock station on radio. WUBE. And uh, I was excited about it, frankly. As you can imagine, this kind of information, those of us who like music, and it was alternative, kind of different. You know, it didn't come on until like 6 o'clock in the evening. The only thing is, I couldn't, I couldn't get it on my radio. So I went home, you know, fooled around with the thing. No... No station. Go in the next day. Yeah, it's on. I go home. Can't find it. What was the problem? It was an AM radio, and UBE was transmitting on FM. Music was all around me, but I couldn't pick it up. I didn't have the right receiver. Now, I would argue that's exactly what is going on as we listen in on the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus is transmitting on the FM band. He's constantly talking about who he is and why he came. John records the first early on the chapters, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am the bread of life, he's going to say. He's going to get to the point, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, not a way. I am the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. Later on, he's going to say, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Amen. So on the FM band, here's, what's Jesus, here's Jesus communicating constantly. He came down from heaven, has always been in existence, came down from heaven, took on human uh, form, lived a sinless life. He would die on the cross ultimately as a substitute for our sins. He invites people to accept by faith and receive new life and direction. The only problem is when all that's going out, Nicodemus has only got an AM receiver. And if you've ever been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you know what it's like talking to somebody who just doesn't get this business of trusting Jesus as Savior. It just doesn't register. I mean, they... It's like, okay, I know you're speaking English, but I'm not getting it. You ever, you ever talk to somebody who says, you know, you're, you're explaining what it means to trust Jesus alone, a new life, a new relationship, and their response is, oh, okay, so I have to join your church, right? That's what it means to, it's like, no, that's not a bad thing to join a church, but that's not what gives you a right relationship with God. So you're talking and talking about how, what a difference Jesus had made in your life, and to say, oh, okay, can I get baptized? I guess that's... Baptism is important. That's not what gives us a relationship with God. It's okay. I need to clean up my life, right? Don't drink, smoke, cuss. Stop smoking that weed. Stop cussing. You know, it's like, that's what's going to make me a Christian? No. You're missing the point. So Jesus is talking why he came, but Nicodemus is kind of in that spot right now where it just doesn't seem to be registering. Words are going out. Not landing. He needs a different receiver. So I want to kind of walk through this a little bit with this and pick up where he's going with this. We didn't read the whole text here, but let me back up a little bit to the conversation. The beginning of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Here it is. This man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do these things that you do unless God is with him. 
And now there's some discussion. Why did he come at night? Was he ashamed to be talking to Jesus? He's a little concerned about... It, it may just be when he got off work. I don't know. But the fact is, he's a teacher himself. He's a Pharisee, right? Very well-educated, theological framework. And I think for a, a long time, I used to think that he was kind of flattering Jesus or, you know, kind of affirming him. It, it, it sounds almost like, you know, he's, he, he has a, 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 a kind, friendly orientation. I think he is actually a little cynical here. I think Nicodemus is a little snarky. Uh, and, frankly, Jesus' response kind of matches that. Jesus' response is, response is pretty blunt. It's kind of unfiltered. Because when he comes and says, you know, this kind of, oh, you know, uh, we know you're a teacher, come from God. Jesus, Jesus kind of flat out tells him, let me tell you, nobody can get into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. I mean, you talk about cutting to the chase. Do you think uh, Nicodemus was stung by that? Think of who he's talking to. He's talking to someone who was theologically very well trained. Who, he's the person that people come to with religious questions, with spiritual questions. And when he enters into this spiritual discussion with Jesus, Jesus tells him flat out, uh, you may be a PhD at the University of Jerusalem, so to speak, uh, but frankly, uh, you're clueless about what it means to have a right relationship with God. That's example A, I think, that it's not enough to have theological degrees. It's not enough to having been grown up in church even Amen. or to know the Bible a lot. Jesus is a truth teller. And when he speaks to Nicodemus, he is, I don't think he's unkind, but he is very clear and very blunt that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And I think Nicodemus at that point says, okay, how does that work? How does that work for somebody to be born all over again? Really? Really, Jesus? I think if you and I were sitting in Starbucks and overheard this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus at the next table, uh, I think we would hear the kind of attitudes and kind of questioning. I, I'm not quite sure he's leaning in. I think he's kind of almost got the brakes on. You know, it's like Jesus says, you need to be born again to the most religious guy of the day. And he says, Really? You're talking about being, how does that work that you get back into the womb again? So there's a real sarcasm here. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this. But when he says, how does that work? Jesus really is talking about spiritual birth, right? Not physical birth. The AM band that Nicodemus is on is in the physical realm. Jesus is wanting to turn the band over to the FM dial. And so he says this, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. What's born of flesh? Flesh. What's born of spirit is spirit. So when you have to be born again, that's going to have to be a spiritual experience. Amen. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear it sound. You don't know where it's come from, where it's going. But, he, but his point is, the birth has to come from the Spirit. A person who has been born physically is the AM <laughs> receiver experience. A person has to get over on the FM dial and experience this business. And he says, listen, uh, the Spirit works as he wants. Uh, God works in a lot of different ways. Same message of trusting Jesus, and he's going to talk about why he came. He's going to tell Nicodemus how to be born again. 
But people actually come a lot of different ways in a lot of different contexts. That's what I'm trying to say. For example, um, you know, we have a business meeting coming up uh, December 9th where we will take in new covenant partners, new memberships, members. members. We call it covenant partners because we want to raise the bar on what that means. One of the great privileges of elders is to listen as people, as we interview people and listen to how they came to faith, how they came to Jesus. And some people have been raised in Christian families and they have, you know, they came to faith early. Other folks have gone through very difficult experiences and it's a crisis that brought them to Jesus. Some have been converted, you know, amazing way, you know, people who find tracks in a restaurant or something like that and read the gospel. I mean, you look throughout the history of the church, people have come in incredibly different ways. The, the wind blows where he wants to in bringing people to himself. Ultimately, if a person is converted and they're born again, they have this experience with Jesus. And so when he says, you have to be born spiritually, Nicodemus, again, uh, comes here where he says, uh, how's that work? Jesus' uh, response is almost comical. It's like, let me get this straight. You're a teacher in Israel? Uh, your PhD is in what? Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand this stuff? I'm telling you, we testify what we know and what we see, but you just won't hear it. One of the great challenges, I think, of sharing Jesus with people is to recognize that it's a spiritual battle Amen. for people Coming to Christ, Satan doesn't give ground easily. And so when there's this resistance, it's, I almost call it the yeah buts. You know? It's like when you're explaining and you drive to the truth that's there and you say, yeah, but, and you explain a little more, yeah, but, explain a little more, yeah, but. Jesus says, the issue, Nicodemus, is that you've constantly got the brakes on. You've got to get the brakes off to be open and willing to hear not what you think about God, what God wants, but to let me share, because uh, after all, he, he says, I came down from heaven. <laughs> you keep asking me for deeper and higher explanations of the gospel, he says. I've, taken, I've told you everything that you need to know, frankly. Your problem is not information, it's the will. Whosoever will may come, he will say. But you will not come to me that you have life. A person does not get right with God simply because they decide to start going to church or simply because they decide to cut down on that cussing or decide, you know, whatever, whatever kind of issue that we think is really the, the barrier between us and God. As he's driving to this, he says, I, I want you to hear a little bit of the bluntness of Jesus with Nicodemus because Nicodemus again has the brakes on and finally Jesus says listen if I told you earthly things and you don't believe it how are you going to believe it if I tell you heavenly things Amen. this is a pivotal point in the text right here and I'm going somewhere that so stick with me it is a pivotal point because up until now he's he's describing what a relationship with God consists of it's a spiritual birth experience that comes Besides just being physically born, it's a work of the Spirit. You can't see 
the spirit working, but you see the results. You, you can't see the wind, but you see the results. When the trees bend over, you know, when the roof flies off. I can't see electric, but I see the results of it. So a pivotal point is going to talk right here about how that happens. This is what it is. Now he's going to talk about how that happens. What makes that possible? What Jesus came to do is how people experience a new birth. And he says, I could keep giving you heavenly explanations, but you're not on the FM band. And nobody, frankly, he's, he's going to tell him, nobody just cooked this up. I'm telling you, I came down out of heaven with this message and this experience. That's frankly strange talk for any one of us. Because if, if, if you ask me, uh, Jeff, when's your birthday? And I were to say, well, I came down out of heaven in 1954. <laughs> if anybody asked, you wouldn't talk that way. You and I came into existence on our birthdays or at conception. Jesus has always been in existence. So when he talks about this is a message that came from heaven through me, I came down out of heaven with this message. He's emphasizing the importance of it. And he says, he's going to say, in effect, this is the key to your question. Here is the answer of how a person can be born again. I'm going to tell you how to enter the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus. So just stick with me. And this is when he goes to this kind of strange language to us. But it's the Old Testament foreshadowing that we have seen for the last several weeks and of all those other examples. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. Lifting up of this serpent, we're going to go back there. Lifting up of this serpent is a foreshadowing of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And then what people did with that is what enabled them to enter. Now, it's a shocking example, frankly. Uh, it goes back to uh, Numbers chapter 21. Um, if you know the account, the people are wandering in the wilderness at this point, and uh, they've come out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery, but they are just a, a pretty miserable bunch, <laughs> uh, grumbling and complaining and hostile and uh, constantly, uh, you know, confronting Moses over his leadership, and God is just, here God has done everything to deliver them out of slavery, and they are so miserable. Moses even said that, doesn't he? Moses, oh, God, these miserable people that you have given to me. He, frust he was frustrated with them. But what happens is, right here, as a result of that, of their hard-heartedness, of their resistance to God, of their uh, disobedience and, and all of those kinds of things. The penalty is this. The Lord sends fiery serpents into the camp and a bunch of them die. Now, if we can, if we get, to, if we can get over the kind of the strangeness of that, the fact of the matter is what? Because of their disobedience and rebellion against God, there was a consequence, the fiery serpents. Their disobedience brought deadly consequences. Now, we're going to have to draw the parallel in just a minute, so you stick with me. But you understand, the fact of disobedience bringing deadly consequences is not lost in this text. 
When they got to the point where they recognized the consequence of their disobedience and rebellion, when it was such a, 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 a painful experience for them, that is when you see their repentance. The people come to Moses and they fess up. We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Please pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. When we begin to pay the price, when we begin to pay the consequences for our sin, um, isn't there a song like that? Sin will take you farther than you want to go and make you pay more than you want to pay. And so, because of their rebellion, there is this consequence. When they repent of their actions, God gives a solution. So you see what's going on here? It's not lost on this. When he says, um, make this fiery serpent uh, and put it on a pole, and everybody who is bitten shall live if they look. So Moses makes this bronze serpent, and he sets it up on a pole. And, as, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now I ask you, is that not, doesn't that sound absurd? Doesn't it sound absurd? Really? The fact is, in this Old Testament context, what you find is people who have to come to grips with a stark and visible reminder of how deadly their rebellion was. They had to face it. When he says, I'm going to lift it up on the pole, Moses, you put it up there, and everybody has to look at it and come to grips with it and to face it, to fully embrace it and own the ugliness of what has transpired, a picture of all that. Their rebellion against God was not simply a weakness, not simply a sickness. Their rebellion against God brought death. He said you have to acknowledge that first. But then you have to have faith that God's answer for that is tied up in that also. If you look, if you look, if you do what I'm telling you, if you look to the one that's raised up, you will live. Now, Israel is about two or three million people at this point. So it's not like a little camp of 500. Two or three million people, that's a pretty good ways you're going to have to travel to look on the serpent. As he's describing this, as he's lining this out, he is talking to an Old Testament expert. When Jesus uses the illustration of the serpent, he's using a very familiar picture to Nicodemus. So it made sense to him. Do you not understand these things, he says? You? Do you, do you, do you get the picture of what's, what God was pointing at back there? Because this, when we talk about Jesus and the cross, and what he's going to do is the, the parallels are stunning. A stark and visible reminder, not only that judgment is brought by God. God sent those snakes. The wrath of God was on folks for their disobedience, but he was also the one that provided the answer for it. Look and live, he says. Look and live. Faith in God's provision is their only hope. Now, I hope you're hearing more than a history lesson here. 
Because Jesus is driving to something with Nicodemus, and he's driving to something with us too. Faith in God's provision was their only hope. Faith in God's provision is our only hope. When we talk about what it means to have a right relationship with God, we're not talking about just coming to church. We're not talking about learning how to have a quiet time. We're not talking about stop sleeping around the neighborhood, stop smoking that weed, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. It's like this is where life is found. Live, you got to look to the one raised up. Amen. Now, there are other responses possible. One is to simply refuse and to think it's stupid. We've, we've, we may have all been there at one point in which the idea of trusting Jesus, alone, don't I have to do something? Don't you think that those folks would have said, as they're bitten and the poison is in their system, isn't there something that I need to do besides look at a snake? That sounds bizarre. I don't like God's answer. I'll do what I think would work. That answer will bring death. Well, I'll just clean up my act. How about, if the, how about if the folks in the desert just say, okay, we're going to stop rebelling against God. From now on, we're going to do better. <coughs> we're going to stop resisting God. In 40 years of ministry, I will say that is the most common response as I have talked with folks about the gospel. Because when you start talking about getting your life on track with God, their, their assumption is, okay, I'm going to figure out how to clean up my act. And I'm going, to stop, I'm going to cut down on this stuff. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Stop sleeping around. Stop. I'm put down the pipe. You know, clean up my language. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start living right. What if those folks had said that in the desert? They had already been bitten. The poison was already in their system. What answer would it be for them to say, okay, from now on we're not going to complain against God? The, the, the answer is so profoundly inadequate. They are dying. The poison is already in their system. The question is, what do you, what do, you do about what's already transpired? Amen. I've often used the illustration with folks and tried to connect and say, Listen, if you, if, you ha if you use irresponsibly a charge card and you run up $10,000 on your charge card uh, and you come to your senses and you just say, man, I've been so stupid with my finances. I've got to do better. From now on, I'm not going to charge any more. I'm not going to put anything else on this charge card. I'm not going to act irresponsibly with my finances anymore. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. What will the bank say to you? <laughs> it's good that you've decided to live differently, but what are you going to do about the debt you already owe? Right. Amen. I can't just simply say, well, uh, can't you accept the fact that I'm going to do better? They'll say, we're in your corner. We're all for you. Pay your debt. Amen. Here's the problem. None of us have the opportunity. None of us had the ability to pay the debt that we had. My charge card has not run up $10,000 with God. My charge card has run up $10 billion. And, and how am I going to pay that off? What good deeds am I going to do to pay that off? The answer is, they can't fix their solution. They can't fix their problem themselves. Somebody else has to do something for them. And that's what God steps in. The point Jesus is making to Nicodemus, and the point I think that he wants to take with us in this passage is, 
If he says to the Israelites, look what I told you to do, look and live, Jesus says about this, Jesus who's going to be raised up on the cross, that's where you look and live. In Numbers, God saves those who look by faith to the snake lifted up. In John, God saves those who look by faith to Jesus lifted up. Jesus becomes both sin and deliverer. Can you imagine? You would have to be as smart as God to come up to a solution to sin as clever as that. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin for you and me, so that the full wrath of God rightly so, would be poured out on sin, but he took the brunt of it instead of you, instead of me. So he says to Nicodemus, and he says to us, look and live. The message of Thanksgiving, as is the message of every day, is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who has always existed, came, took 